Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. Happy Feast Day of the Epiphany, my friends. Our gospel lesson that we just heard from the book of Matthew is one of the most familiar stories in the Bible. And every year we read it when we celebrate the Feast of the Epiphany, and we try to glean from it how is it that what happened long ago in the telling of that story might still be relevant in our lives today. Most often we hear sermons about the three wise kings. Whether or not they were kings, we don't know, but we've often seen them painted and sung about as three kings. Regardless, they certainly represent people from different lands, and the underlying message has often been preached that it is the lands from around the world that have come together to meet the love of Christ in the baby Jesus. But there is another story that is woven into the story that we just heard, and it is a story that I think has particular relevance and meaning for our Trinity community. It's one that may invite us into a deeper conversation about Trinity's emerging identity and our future and the path that we have been choosing, especially over the last couple of years, as we have continued to respond and adapt and grow with great intentionality during this pandemic. Last week, I came upon a wonderful poem that was new to me and it rings with what I would describe as gospel clarity truth for our identity. I would like to offer it now as I help think that it helps us paint a picture of what it means to be a progressive, inclusive, creative community of faith. I offer it also as a way for us to approach the story of the Magi, the story of the Epiphany that we just heard. Listen to these words and see if they resonate with you as well. It's a poem that was written by UCC pastor Quinn Caldwell, and it comes from a book titled All I Really Want, Readings for a Modern Christmas. If we came to this place expecting a tame story, we came to the wrong place. If we came for a story that does not threaten us, we came for a different story than the one we tell here. If we came to hear of the coming of a God who only showed up so that we could have a nice day with our loved ones, then we came for a God whom we do not worship here. For even a regular baby is not a tame thing, and goodness that cannot threaten complacency and evil is not much good at all. And a God who would choose to give up power and invincibility to become an infant for us certainly didn't do it just so that we could have a nice dinner with family. But if we came because we think unwed teenage mothers are some of the strongest people in the world, 
If we came because we think that the kind of people who work third shift doing stuff we'd rather not do might attract an angel's attention before us snoring comfortably in our bed would, if we came because we think there are wise men and women and non-binary folk to be found among undocumented travelers from far lands that might be able to show us God, if we came to hear a story of tyrants trembling while heaven comes to peasants, if we came because we believe God loves the animals as much as the people and so made them the first witnesses to the saving of the world, if we came for a story of reversals that might end up reversing us, if we came for a tale of adventure and bravery where strong and gentle people win and the powerful and violent go down to dust, where the rich lose their money but find their lives and the poor are raised up as kings and queens, if we came to be reminded that God's love refuses to leave us unchanged, if we came to follow the light even if it blinds us, if we came for salvation and not safety, then ha, my friends, we are precisely in the right place. So what are we here for? What are we here for indeed? I love how provocative and challenging and real that question feels. It is an almost in-your-face reminder that complacency has no place in this journey for us when put in these terms. Over the years, I have wrestled with the why of church. Why do we come week after week together? Or perhaps a better question, why do so many not come to church week after week? Why do we pledge our allegiance, our time, and support to an institution that over the centuries have done so much spiritual damage to so many, including to many of us? Why do we follow a way of love that stands in such contrast to so much of the world that we live in and the messaging we hear all around us? So today, for me, is another Why Church Day. <laughs> and I think this is a poem when set next to our gospel story this morning offers more insight into who and how we are called to be on this faith journey together. To look at that journey together, I would like to retell this familiar story from a different perspective, from the perspective of the story within the story. This, then, is a story of not three kings, but two kings. The first king lived in a lavish palace and was surrounded by advisors and scribes and servants. His kingdom grew as his armies conquered and captured people of other lands. He built great fortresses, waterways, and theaters. The people in his kingdom called him Herod the Great. But the Roman authorities elsewhere in the empire simply called him King of the Jews. The second king lived in a small rural hillside not very far away. 
His birth in a manger drew shepherds from their flocks and angels from heaven. We meet him as an infant, small and vulnerable. And yet from the beginning, something in this baby is different. The story of his birth marks a moment of hope and points toward the potential of God's coming reign. His family called him Jesus, but the angel Gabriel, upon hearing, appearing to his mother Mary, had called him King of the Jews. So this is the story of two kings, one who embodied tyranny, the other who embodied compassion. One whose leadership was based in the authority of empire, the other in the authority of a God of love, reconciliation, compassion, and justice. This is the story of these two kings. Matthew's Gospel tells us about both kings. When the Magi from the east come to King Herod, telling him about the rising star on the horizon and the birth of an infant king, Matthew tells us that Herod was frightened. He quickly devises a plot to kill the child, asking the Magi to go find the baby and then to come back and tell him where he lives. He lies to them, saying that he wishes to worship the king of the Jews. The truth is that he likes that title for himself and will go to any lengths to keep it. The story of the Magi themselves is one that has been altered and adapted throughout history. While we know them as the figures in our nativity scenes, three men often seen as representatives of Gentile communities from the East, Matthew provides no distinguishing characteristics whatsoever in the gospel story we just heard. He says only that they are from the East. He does not give us a number, only that there is more than one. They have been watching the sky, and when a star appears and begins to move, they leave their communities to follow that star. They enter a foreign land, looking for the Messiah, whose birth is announced by this strange celestial symbol. They, like the shepherds in the field, are watchers, and with their eyes glued to the horizon, they begin their long journey. But remember, this is a story of two kings. The ancient world celebrated power much in the same way that we do today. Herod's kingship, his political authority, was confirmed and accepted not only by the Roman state, but also by his own subjects. His influence was a worldly one, and both of the names that he was given, Herod the Great and King of the Jews, illustrate how powerful he was in all of their eyes. He was a rich man. He was the symbol of success. But Herod was a tyrant, and he was the very type of king that Jesus would warn about during Jesus' adult ministry. Herod is a symbol of the principalities and the powers that the coming reign of God comes to subvert and to destroy. Ultimately, the Magi had a choice to make, a choice between two kings. Ultimately, the Magi had to decide what road to take when it came to leave after their visit. Their instructions were to go back to Herod and make a full report. But here, Matthew gives us one of the most beautiful and simple verses in the entire passage. 
After the Magi worship the child Jesus and present him with their gifts, we are told that they left for their own country by another road. The Magi, it seems, took time to ask themselves some version of the question that we just heard in the poem. What were they there for? Had they come to do Herod's bidding? And even if so at first, by the time their visit was done, it seems that they were changed. So powerful was that first vision of Christ, the incarnate God that we celebrate today on the Epiphany, that the Magi altered their entire course. Rather than go back to Herod, to the king whose power was affirmed by the empire, they quietly chose another route, another direction for their lives. It's as if their why had changed enough to alter their course and at great risk. I have wondered what they had to risk to reject the power and prestige of the ruling world. How were they changed as they made the decision to embrace a vulnerable, indescribable love that they experienced through the baby Jesus? This is the story of two kings. The end. Or is it? Maybe this is not just a story of two kings. Hmm. Maybe this is a story for us and the choices that we make and the choices that we make about church. And while I try to stay clear of binary either-or thinking in general, there is something that I hear this morning calling us to remember how important our choices are day-to-day as well. We are once again at an important crossroads as we begin this new year as a country, and the one-year anniversary of last year's insurrection at the Capitol. As a community of faith, as we continue to navigate the pandemic and struggle through the challenges we face, staying connected and safely distanced, living into our recent decision to go back to suspend in-person worship and to embrace this format for the way that we come together for the rest of the month of January trying to stay engaged and compassionate, trying to be bold in action and humble in posture. In other words, trying to think about and faithfully respond to the question, which king do we want to follow and why? How will we make choices in ministry together in the days ahead? What will we be willing to risk in order to embrace who God is calling us to be in this time and place? What are we willing to sacrifice? Who do we really want to be? Why do you keep coming back to this community? Why will we keep being the love of God in the world? My prayer for us in the coming weeks and in this season of Epiphany is that our answers will help us day by day, giving us more strength, and more clarity, challenging us to be more together than we ever could be alone, helping us seek out ways to move ever more deeply into being faithful disciples of the King of Love. Because if we came for a story of reversals that might end up reversing us, 
If we came for a tale of adventure and bravery, where strong and gentle people win, and the powerful and violent go down to dust, where the rich lose their money but find their lives, and the poor are raised up as king and queens, if we came to be reminded that God's love refuses to leave us unchanged, if we came to follow the light, even if it blinds us, if we came for salvation and not safety, then yes, my friends, yes, we have indeed come to exactly the right place. May it be so.